Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It is episode 40. Yes, the big four zero. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons. And as always, I'm joined by Chad Owen from Brooklyn. Good evening. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yes, it's uh, a beautiful spring day here in Sydney. Um, is it a sort of a, a dry... Wet and rainy here. Really? Already? Yeah, it's. Uh, we kind of skipped over some of the nice fall and just went went straight to rain. Wow. Well, that sounds that sounds like some tough work after a hot, humid summer. But I tell you, it, what something that's also pretty epic in the world is the subject of this show. This is like a granddaddy of a show, Chad Owen. Yeah, we, we haven't quite gone this far back into uh, history yet, I don't think, on this show. No, no. Into the archives, as they say. Yeah, yeah. We've only had a few people on the show that that are no longer with us. And today's today's subject, Peter Drucker, is he's been around since the 30s and 40s, espousing wisdom on innovation, entrepreneurship. He's kind of literally written the books on management. I think it's close to like what is it, 40 books, yeah. or 50 books? I think there's 39. The scale of his work is enormous. Many of his articles that he wrote for the Harvard Business Review are in there, have sort of reached the Hall of Fame, if you will, for the Harvard Business Review. He uh, he has uh, business schools named after him. He uh, is considered uh, the inventor of the, of the concept of management, uh, he created the idea of the knowledge worker, uh, the very famous saying, first things first. I mean, how, I, I mean, isn't this ridiculous? This guy is like the source, if you will. Yeah, it was really fun to go back and revisit some of his books that I had been turned on to, you know, when I was just kind of starting my entrepreneurial journey. And I kept flipping back to the front of the book to be like, when was this written? Because it's it's still so prescient and applicable. Um, even you know the things that he wrote in 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 the eighties. Yeah, yeah, he was prolific, um, and you know, obviously people appreciated what he had to say because actually in two thousand and two he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in the U.S. Like. That is the highest civilian honor you can receive, you know, other than, you know, you need to actually be in the military to get any higher than that. I mean, this guy is profound in what he wrote and how he thought. And the crazy thing is that despite, you know, his famous book, probably his most famous book, which was written in, in 66, called The Effective Executive, so much of what he wrote is massively relevant today. Um, and he, he was the guy who came up with the idea of the knowledge worker, which is essentially moving from the industrial age to the information age and, and that it's all going to be about knowledge and creativity. And as a result of that, he said, organizations are going to need to priority prioritize people. Just starting to sound familiar. If you listen to any modern leader, it's, it's about the people. And the crazy thing is, Chad, he even uh, called, you know, what we see in Tom's, Warby Parker, and all of these mission-driven companies, he was 
foreseeing this decades ago that not only do companies need to put people at the center, they need to put purpose at the center. Yeah, it's in, it's in his 1985 book, Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Like I was just reading that. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. But 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 this is how the like the clarity of how uh, by which he understood how teams in companies work is in is so incredibly profound. And I think we have to be honest that not many companies have truly succeeded in the areas in which he wrote about, which is why we chose uh, to do a show on Peter Drucker, because I think people are still struggling with concepts of how to invest in talent, how to have a purpose, uh, how to increase knowledge, how to increase engagement with, with stuff. Like all of these things are top of the list today, even though he wrote about them 40, 50 years ago. Mm. Yeah, and this is kind of not even acknowledging his his personal life story of living in Germany at at the turn of the century and dealing with the Weimar Republic and the rise of of national you know socialism and the Nazi Party, which you know brought him to England and and eventually the states. And another interesting thing, especially as we get you know get into this author's series, it's fascinating to me to begin to turn our attention to people that spent most of their careers actually kind of outside of business so that they can take a, a slightly different perspective. Now, like, he, you know, he did a lot of consulting inside of General Motors, mm. and that's kind of where his first famous book, the con- what is it, the concept, concept of the corporation, right. where he essentially embedded himself for two years to learn how General Motors operated. And I think that's kind of what birthed his theory of management. And then kind of from there, NYU saw you know, how valuable his, his knowledge was. And mm-hmm. they had him for over 20 years teaching in their business school. And then yep. he went to California to essentially kind of found his own uh, MBA program. You know, and that's where the, the, the schools are named after him. Hmm. It's really, I've really enjoyed kind of taking a more academic look at entrepreneurship and innovation. So yeah, I'm actually kind of excited to, to jump into the clips here. Yeah, me too. I think uh, just a couple of quick thoughts just to, to help all of the listeners. First of all, if you want to uh, follow up on any of the the books or the links that we reference, and there's going to be a lot in this episode because he was so prolific, go to moonshots.io and you'll get the show notes, all the links, all the goodies. You can listen to old shows, send us emails. Chad loves the emails. Just whatever you want to do, jump on to, to moonshots.io. Second thing is... We have the curse of history when we do a study of Peter Drucker, and I think it's twofold. Number one, um, a lot of the the interviews and and talks that he gave were done in a pre YouTube era, mm. so sourcing content was a little tricky. And the second thing, Chad, is he's got a very thick. Austrian accent. So he's not the most easy to, to listen to and understand. So uh, how should we set everyone up for how we've pulled these clips together, Chad? Well, I think, Mike, you did a great job of sourcing clips that help convey much of kind of his biggest ideas, you know, from some of his more uh, popular works like The Essential Drucker and The Effective Executive. You, know, you and I are going to be talking about his book, Innovation and Entrepreneurship, kind of in our book review section. So yeah, this is kind of our disclaimer. And like, you know, we really wanted to bring you some great clips from the horse's mouth himself. But, you know, I think for ease of understanding and clarity, we've kind of pulled some contemporaries uh, and people talking about him 
and and reflecting on on his work. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't you uh, let it rip? What's the first one you want to play for us, Chad? Well, this is just uh, you know one of our typical intro clips, which is you know you've you've heard of kind of like the four P's of marketing and whatnot. Well, Peter has his own uh, concept called the four C's. When you think about Peter, he's sort of like the Babe Ruth and Ted Williams of baseball because of his longevity, his high standards, his sustained excellence. He was a giant in his field, a renaissance man. He was more than I expected, more than I ever could have anticipated. He was a good man. You've probably heard of the four C's of diamonds. Well, there are the four C's of Peter Drucker. And these are the values and guiding principles that he considered important, among others. Uh, one was competency. You have to have that. The other was character, compassion, and community. Those are at the DNA of effective organizations and effective leaders. The four C's, huh? And what's so nice about those four C's is how you start to see Drucker has this deep focus on the Renaissance man or woman, the the full, the fully matured, uh, intuitive, empathetic uh, leader. And this is a huge theme in his work. He he really puts a focus on not only what you do but how you work with the people around you how you how you hold yourself amongst your peers um and i think this starts to set up like a really exciting set of ideas from drucker but i i kind of love the vintage classic nature of the those four c's chad i mean it's so refreshing in this age of blockchain and artificial intelligence this man wants people of character yeah, and really only one of those attributes is, I think, tied to the bottom line of a business, competency. Mm. The other three, character, compassion, and community, get at culture, which which is kind of the big C that's on top of all of those. And yeah. we have all these people so concerned with creating the right culture and fostering fostering diverse and inclusive cultures. But you know, here we have Peter looking inside of GM in the 30s mm. and seeing, yep, mm. it's actually the culture that matters the most. And again, I think that's, I don't think that he came up with his theory of management just to improve business performance. I, I do think it is also to, as you're saying, really support the people and, and grow well-rounded, you know, people of character, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, this is where everything comes full circle. It starts, uh, with people. And uh, this next clip is is really important because it starts to lay some of the, the key ideas that are behind, you know, the godfather of management, the godfather of the greatest books ever written that are still relevant now. So let's have a listen now to this idea of how it's all about people first. He uh, left, left the lecture saying, I didn't, I I didn't hear anything but uh, from Keynes, but uh, things about commodities, particularly money. And I don't particularly care about money, which is interesting having written, the, you know, 36 management books, but uh, I care about people. And I think if I had to pick this, uh, this single one thing about uh, Peter's whole career, 
It was about the interaction of people more than it was getting people rich. Hmm. So you, you realize he's just left a talk there from John Maynard Keynes, considered one of the greatest economists ever to have lived. And he's like, ah, that's all crap. He never talked about people. He's just talking about money and policy. And, and Drucker's like, it's all about the people. I think that is so classically Drucker. He's confident in what he knows and what he thinks. But most importantly, he knows that everything starts with people. Wouldn't you, Chad, wouldn't you say that when you look at great sports teams and great companies, you will often find that the culture that you talked about is led by this people first idea. There's some sort of culture and bond amongst men and women that when they're working in the right way, when people are heard and people are listened to, when people are contributed and given the right sort of feedback, it's, it's this idea of people-first culture, isn't it? Absolutely. Or, or a culture-first organization. And one of my clients you know, kind of has that as their, their motto. And most, many of my other clients are very concerned and actively working towards you know, fostering, a, a, a putting culture first mm. uh, inside of their organizations. And you might think it's a new idea, but it's not. <laughs> Again, I think in many ways... Peter was ahead of his time in talking about this, and it's kind of taken us 50 years plus to really process it and truly understand how important it is. And mm. I think part of that is kind of tied to the business cycles that he talks about. You know, he, he kind of conceives of business cycles in like 50, 60-year waves. And so, you know, for a long time, it was very much about efficiency and you know, kind of like the the last optimizations of the industrial age yep. you know, before we fully tran- transformed into the, the kind of the knowledge economies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so we're now kind of doing all this catch up work to like, you know, repair the people <laughs> side of the <laughs> economics equation and, and not just make it so much about about money. Yeah, and and this is this this gets us beautifully to this next thought around Drucker and and his legacy and his work which is you know, look, taking care of people is just the right thing to do, but when you do that, you can unlock enormous potential not only in the people as individuals but in teams and not only in teams but in companies. So, let's have a listen now to some commentary on Drucker's thoughts around the power of people. In his 1946 book, which was the concept of the corporation that came out of his GM work, that the most durable organizations develop their people both intellectually and morally. And that's focusing on strengths. That way, organizations really fly, focus on strengths. It's a big deal in Drucker. Very deep for Peter because it comes out of his past. You know, he grew up in Austria. He saw the Nazi horrors. He saw what the Nazi philosophies did to, to people. And uh, he had a deep respect for individuals, helping individuals to grow. That was all very, very genuine. If you look at the classic uh, economic view of, of, uh, of uh, production or economic activity, right? You've got machines, you've got la- labor, you've got land, all that. Well, people are the only, actually, the only infinitely expandable resource. So not only is it the right thing to do in terms of helping people grow for its own sake, but it turns out that it's a tremendous competitive advantage if you can really unleash the power of people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's 
it's funny, you know, the point about people as kind of the infinitely expandable resource. So it's like if, if you weren't already on kind of the bandwagon with him of like, yeah, you know, people are really important. <laughs> it's like, well, like, just look at it. The machines aren't going to make the things themselves, at least not yet. I mean, we're not quite there with AI no, uh, and, and robotics, but, it, you know, it's like, yeah, the he's not saying it in in kind of the trite way of, you know, oh, well, people are our most important asset. I think that in, in many ways, I kind of hate that phrase because I don't think organizations actually, you know, they say that, but don't live it out. Um, right. And if you if you need to say that, then you'd wonder. It's like, trust me, trust me. If someone keeps saying, trust me, trust me, you're like, I can't trust this person. They keep saying I have to trust them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's um, it's very interesting to me. And hopefully, you know, in Mike and I introducing you, the listener, to 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 Peter's thoughts and works, if if you haven't been more exposed, is you'll understand that it it's not this kind of uh, boring bureaucratic. No, you know, kludgy kind of uh, theory of management. Like he puts people at the very heart of it. And I think that's why it's so engaging and interesting and it's so relatable to read because in all of the situations that he's talking about, it's like, oh, I have felt that before. I've been in that situation before. And, you know, myself as I'm running and growing a business, it's still, again, you know, 50 years later, very practical it's very practical because again, kind of, you know, humans and human nature is the, is the thread all the way through. Like, I don't think fundamental human nature has changed that much in 50 years. And so, you know, the technologies have, of course, but the underlying human nature hasn't. And I think that's kind of the genius nature of how he kind of future-proofed his, his work. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, he, he is the furthest thing from, a detailed thesis on operational excellence at scale. He's all about people. And the great thing about that clip that we just played is there was a little clue, there was a little clue in there about how you do this whole people thing that they're talking about. Oh, you got to you got to come out with a clue, Mike. Like we're all about, you know, finding the insights and the nuggets here. All right, all right, all right. Okay, here we go. Now, it was a subtle reference that he made, but this is the biggest thing that couples the idea of okay, yeah, yeah, people first, we get it. How do you do it? Little bridge there is focusing on the strengths of the individual. Mm. Now, what this means is that there was a common um, school of thought over the last few decades about trying to be well-rounded as an executive. Well, Drucker is quite contrarian to that thought. He's like, uh-uh, maximize your time and attention towards the things that you do well. And as a manager, stop trying to make someone who's bad at, say, details and math, stop forcing them to get better at that. Give that job to somebody else who it naturally fits. And it is your job as the manager to ensure that your people are spending more time doing things that relate to their strengths because when they do something they're good at, they succeed, they get positive feedback, they grow, they contribute, and they feel good about their work. Um, stop trying to force people out of their strengths into their weaknesses. And this is the key bridge. Your job as a manager is to work out what your people are good at and maximize their time doing it. That is probably one of the biggest uh, practical 
ideas that Drucker has get into your strengths and get your people into their strengths. Mm. So obviously when you're recruiting, if you've got five people who are great at details but poor at, say, big picture stuff, then the next one you hire is a big picture person and reorder it like that. And and if you look at great sports teams, this is where you see it all the time. Oh, man, they're great at offense, defense. Their transition's good. They're good from three-point shots. They're great under the net. You, you know, it's this is play to your strengths. Yeah, I think if you kind of, you know, mapped someone's capabilities, exactly. um, there's going to be some peaks and troughs. And really what Peter's saying is amplify the peaks, make the peaks much higher, as high as you can and focus on that. And don't really worry about filling in the troughs because that's, because when you begin to overlay these graphs of different people, then you're, you're kind of hitting the top of the graph, you know, between different people. And yeah, I think it's a little counterintuitive, but you know, there's a lot of of writing and research and thought that's come out, you know, since. Yes, um, exactly. I'm thinking of like yep. Strengths Finder and and other other things that really, again, just focus on on strengths and it's yep. kind of like delegating yep. or partnering or hiring to kind of mitigate. As opposed to, I mean, sure, if there's like a huge deficit that that you know that must be filled. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm you know, kind of do the triage to do that, but, re- you know, really spend your time and focus on your strengths. Because here's the thing, when you when you start getting people playing to their strengths, this is when you get organizational transformation and you move away from playing defense, you get into offense, you have the potential to do amazing things. And this, this next clip is just so perfect because this is setting up the Drucker idea of like the way to get to greatness is through empowering your people and giving them a mission that they believe in. And this is so, uh, if you think about the turmoil and all the polarization right now that we live in in this modern world, this thought is so relevant. So this is some commentary on how to achieve great things through mission and empowerment. Understood that organizations were imperfect at best. and often largely misguided. And at the same time, he had this sense of, if you could tap into the mission or or create a mission or a purpose, a sense of focus, and then get individuals who themselves had tremendous limitations, but have one area of genius and empower that area of genius, and enable those individuals to work constructively together toward that unified purpose, that great things could be accomplished. Mm, this this is really fascinating because Mike, you and I are actually just kind of talking about something that relates to, to me and my business right now, mm-hmm. of, you know, how to bring people together to do great work. And there it is right there. So you choose and focus on a mission you empower people that have a specific area of genius. And then by bringing those people together around that mission, yes. you can then go and do great work. It's very elegant. It is. It is. And, and, and the, the art of empowerment starts with, you know, finding their strengths and letting them do more of that. And making sure that whatever widgets you make day-to-day in your office, make sure it's done in the context of a mission that creates some sort of positive change in the world. 
And, and I think that this is a great challenge to any business to ask themselves, like, why do we matter? You know, will people really miss us when we're gone? Uh, what are we really contributing here? And the neat thing is that when you put people first and you believe in them, you find their strengths, you empower them and you give them a mission to go after is you get this magic thing that starts to happen. It has, starts to happen inside of your company. It starts to happen with your customers and your partners and you know your neighborhoods in which you operate. And this is this idea of community. And this is where all these different uh, uh, experts and their commentary on Drucker brings this whole Peter Drucker world together, which is this idea of community. And he really sees company and we're back to his famous the letter c seems to come back all the time but really you you could see the, the company as as a concept just as part of a community so let's dive into to this clip which is really getting into the essence of how drucker thought about community and business now a harvard business review classic uh, hbr has identified a few of these articles that uh, over time have been the most popular ones um, when the article first ran uh, now a bit more than 20 years ago, and it came out under the title of What Business Can Learn from Nonprofits, a lot of folks thought it was actually a typo. They thought that HBR had gotten the title backwards, and that of course the title of the article was supposed to be uh, What Can Nonprofits Learn from Business. One of the core insights Peter had in that, I think very much to Mike's point, was nonprofit organizations have figured out how to do something really extraordinary, which is they've figured out how to rally talented individuals to voluntarily give their time, talent, and treasure toward a cause for no monetary reward. And that, in fact, the future of business belongs to the organizations that can learn from that. And we very much see that today. Uh, of course, as so often was the case, Peter was a generation or more ahead of his time in what he was, he was counseling businesses to attend to. And we now see the really successful businesses are the ones that can actually, in effect, create a kind of volunteer core around their products and services, people who are so passionate about what they do that they will volunteer their time for that. Uh, so that was really the heart of that article was that. Hmm. L listening to that, Mike, I, I can think of a few famous tech you know, organizations that I think have achieved this idea of, of community that, that Peter talks about. I, I'm, I'm curious if you're thinking of the same ones I am. So we'll, we'll, we'll go back and forth and just maybe name a couple here. So I'm going I'm to start with, with Google. I think Google's done that. Created community. Uh, yeah, I'll go totally different type. Etsy is a community of creators and hobbyists. Yeah, I work across the street from them, in fact. They yeah, have, yeah. Cool. I've been to their offices and can say that, yes, it is, it is a wonderful mm -hmm. community mm -hmm. there. All right. Who else in, on, on yours? I'm going to say, oh, yeah, see, this is tough now. I think Lyft has done it. Yes, yeah, certainly a stark comparison to Uber, right? Mm-hmm. The whole thing of you know, sitting in the front seat, like it's so simple and yet I think it just embodies <laughs> that idea of community. Yeah, it does. It does. What about um, like Khan Academy and Code.org? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's this fascinating, it, this can be abused. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is kind of where I was going, at least leading off with Google, mm. because I think you can over-optimize the community to extract it becomes about extracting more value and time and talent from your people as opposed to having them graciously and without thought, you know, g giving it back because they're rallying around yeah. this cause. That yes. And, you know, I'm thinking about things like 
you know, company perks and, and those sorts of things. It's really kind of, it's got the veneer of community, but it's not real community. That's, that's, that's absolutely right. And I think you can go a couple of ways with this. I mean, there's a, a number of classic uh, selling schemes. Uh, what's, the, what's the famous vitamin? Is it, I think it's a vitamins company in the US which ha- uses the Amway model where you buy in and then you sell to others and they're always getting in trouble. Oh, I can't remember the name. But I mean, you could... I don't know. Yeah, I, I can think of a few. You can, but you can even expand this thinking to are you creating community? And this is where I think Facebook is in a very tight situation. Are they creating community or exploiting the community? Mm. And um, this has been at the heart of the challenges they've had this year because I think the line is so fine with them. I think Google's actually in, in somewhat of a safer place because maybe unwittingly their failure in social media has meant that they really don't play an active role in that space. Whereas Twitter, obviously, and and Facebook uh, are much closer to that. And I think that really what we can take from this is that having purpose energizes not only your staff, it's your customers and your partners. And I think of a great successes like Tom's, uh, Charity Water, Warby Parker, Warby, like these are companies that put you know you know giving back at the core of their 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 mission and proposition. And you think about what Warby has gone on to do. They took on Luxottica. Luxottica literally makes most sunglasses in the world. They distribute most sunglasses and they retail most sunglasses. And they came in and said, well, this totally sucks. And they challenged the status quo. And I think they've done fabulously well as a result of it. And uh, apart from being... Yeah, and it's not just, it's not just you know what they're doing it's also their company cultures as well you know th- they are all known for creating a community within the organization right. as well as without absolutely i totally agree and you know if you're really interested in in this idea of community i would really encourage everyone to th- uh, explore the idea of a benefits corporation so these are for profit companies but the most important thing that they do where they where they differentiate is that they choose not to put profits before everything else. They choose to put the community and people and the environments in which people are living before their profits. So they're perfectly free to make profit, but to do so very much Yvonne Chouinard style, you know, Patagonia style, which I think can can bring great uh, value and benefit to the people around. So if you are interested in this idea of building a company that is really designed to contribute positivity and value into a community. I, I would really research the benefits corporation idea and, and we'll put a link in the show notes to that because it's yeah. really interesting. And that stuff. be sure to check out our episode on Patagonia founder, Yvonne Chouinard. Patagonia is a B Corp and they're probably one of the most profitable, if not the most profitable <laughs> B Corp out there. So if you don't think that uh, putting people in purpose ahead of profits will make you money. Just, yeah, look at, look at Patagonia. Totally. And this, this all really kind of fits into this bigger picture of doing business is more than just dollars and cents. It's, it's really about the full picture of working with people, understanding them, serving the pains that they have, trying to solve those, trying to create gains for them, and trying to think of 
not just the binary nature of business of you know transactions, but thinking of it as a whole spectrum of human behaviors, thoughts, ideas, and uh, this this last clip that we have is the is is some great thinking around how Drucker really saw uh, the practice of management as being all about the liberal arts. I think that um, is a part of the genius of, of Drucker that that he gets you thinking about issues. He throws out things like management is a liberal art, the practice of management, which really did codify uh, the, the, the practice of management. They just threw that out. Well, it turns out that there's a whole lot behind that. It's true. It starts you thinking. One of the, I think, important insights of Peters was his recognition that, that management is a liberal art, that uh, it's not simply learning how to do productivity or, or how to do marketing, but the really effective leader uh, needs to understand uh, psychology, needs to understand uh, uh, religion, needs to understand science, uh, a whole series of, of what make up the liberal arts that inform the decision. I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Mike, because we spent a lot of time talking about focusing on your strengths. Mm-hmm. And then here they're saying, well, management is much more like a liberal art, which in that statement kind of implies a, a little bit more breadth in what you're learning. Mm. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious yeah. how, is that, how that sits with you, how we might integrate those, those ideas. Okay. So if, if, if I want to try and make the ideas work together, I, I would say the strengths is, is about your area of practice, but the worldview should be much broader than just that. So for example, mm. let, let's say you're a basketball coach and you're expert at defense. Uh, that's your strength. However, you should, you should understand the broader game uh, itself, that there's offense and transition, and then there's like special teams, but then there's also club culture, giving back to the community, going and training kids, all of which may be a broader, more liberal view of, of, of your practice, but your inherent strength is being the defense coach. I don't know. Does that work? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's a good one. And I, I would almost go back to an earlier clip where they're talking about Peter saying that it's it's kind of the organization's job to not only develop someone intellectually, but also morally. Morally. I was like, yeah. Whoa, morally? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, it, it's, you don't think that that's like that mor- morality and management, it just, again, it's just like, whoa. It's like, Oil, oil and vinegar. Like, I don't know how they integrate, but. <laughs> well, what's interesting is Yvonne Chouinard, uh, you remember when we did his show, he was like, who wants to be an executive? They're like scoundrels and thieves, right? Yeah, I'll be a dirtbag for life. Yeah, remember that? And, and, I, and I think if we look at uh, a lot of what we are exposed to, is uh, the failings of executives, and we've seen uh, a lot of that over time. But what's what's interesting is that the great the greatest companies of all time have usually behind it this great culture, dedication from the founder, putting people first, finding their strengths. But just look at um, some of the the greatest people that we've had on the show. There's definitely a pattern 
in humility, hard work, listening to others, serving others. That's a massive theme in uh, longevity and success. And I think what we're hearing here is that in the end, the good guys win, right? Short-term opportunist, selfish companies always come undone because they just don't have community around them. And I think, you know, you only need to have a look at when you see successful companies, you see these patterns, and you see in uh, failures such as the 2008 Wall Street crash, such as Enron, such as great failures such as Blockbuster, such as Kodak, they lost touch with who they were, they got off track, and sometimes people just make mistakes, but in the case of Enron, they actually failed that morality test that that Drucker has established, you know, make people great um, and make make great things that solve problems, but you also have a have an an explicit role in making the people better off. I mean, they use the word morality. I think uh, if you look at what we mentioned with mission-driven, socially-driven companies, people want to do more than just make some stuff. Mm. They want to know that there's some sort of legacy, some sort of something they can be proud about to go home and tell their friends and family, say, look what I contributed to, you know? And I think that's what Drucker taps into, don't you? Yeah, and I think there's a fundamental drive like if if you're alive you want to grow and develop as an individual and that's there's many different facets to that it's not just how can i get better at banging out widgets you know there's so much more and that's what peter is pointing us to. yeah uh, I, absolutely. So what? And what it just a, keeps coming back to the, the the first clip was perfect, Mike. You you picked the first the perfect first clip. You know, it it comes down to the four C's of competency, character, compassion, and community. Yeah, it's very elegant and very simple. So I don't think uh, if you're not going to take anything away from today's show, take away those four things. Yes, yes, and um, we're really lucky to to have the chance to dig into the work of Peter Drucker, which really meets the test of being absolutely the timeless. Um, those four C's are such a great way to sort of encapsulate the first half of the show. But before we and, and this next section, what we're going to do is we're going to go like total life hacking ninja deep on the principles of his biggest book uh, and we're going to really get into some some hacks that you can use to be a better executive, to be a better manager. Uh, before we get into all of that good stuff, if there was ever time for a Chad Owen book review, I think now's the time, Chad. Yeah, so I went a little off the beaten path here with the book Innovation and Entrepreneurship. I picked it up because of the title, not even really knowing who Peter Drucker was, I was like, oh, it's a book on innovation entrepreneurship. Like, I'm starting my own business. This seems like a pretty, uh, <laughs> seems like a pretty good thing yeah, to good, pick up. But yeah, good place to it start. Was, yeah, it was ten years ago almost, and um, you know, it's a hefty tome, and I didn't quite make it all the way through. But I revisited it in preparation for the show, and I was just really struck. It was written in 1985. I was just really struck with how timely and relevant it is to today. And there's just a few simple ideas that, you know, we can take from the book. And and I I would highly encourage you all to at least Google kind of summary or 
slide deck or something for, for this book, because I think you can get a lot of good information from just some summaries. But it's very interesting to me how he ties innovation and, and entrepreneurship together. One kind of slap in the face to me when I was first starting out is as I was reading it is I was essentially Peter was telling me that, you know, I, I wasn't an entrepreneur and I wasn't innovating. I was just a small business owner. It's like, oh, that, that kind of hurts. You know, Ouch. I want to be an innovator. <laughs> I want to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, it, it's interesting the distinction he, he makes, you know, small business is not entrepreneurship. He's very clear in saying that, you know, so starting a, a starting another restaurant or another gas station or another uh what's on on the the block here that that's that's opening up there's always you know something new opening up this you know not opening up the, the next starbucks or, or another mm-hmm. franchise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and it's also not a personality trait which again was a very interesting realization to me especially now as i'm kind of reflecting on on 10 years mm. um it's entrepreneur an entrepreneur searches for change and inside that change opportunities to exploit it. And that exploitation is the innovation. Um, And so innovation and entrepreneurship are kind of very intricately linked in that way. Yeah. It's yeah. They're, they're they're intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, I'm kind of curious, Mike, from, from your experience and, and point of view, you know, how do you, uh, connect or relate these ideas of of innovation and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I so as soon as you were saying that, uh, what came to mind is Musk and 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 Branson especially as the hunters of change. Right, of all the people that we've done shows on, it feels like those two are the greatest searches of change and looking for the gaps inside of that where they can produce new products and services. So they certainly strike me as being the real entrepreneurs. Um, and and ze- definitely when I think about Yvonne Chouinard, who we've mentioned a lot, he was sort of an accidental uh, entrepreneur, if, if you will. Um, so so there's this certain uh, shrewdness uh, that, that he applies to it, which I really like. And it's quite a calculating way to look at it particularly because he's someone who places people so much at the center. So I, I kind of like that tension, if you will, between, between the two things. Um, I definitely think, you know, what speaks to me is innovation is coming with something that's, that's really different to the status quo. I think, you know, approaching an unmet need in a very unusual, very different way this is the the excitement that we all feel uh, about something that that feels like it's the next big thing, and I think my quest is always what I try to do is to be open minded to what the the radical new approach to solve a problem or an unmet need in the market that that truly is I love that moment of oh my gosh, maybe if we did it this way. That little aha can that that really is that gets me out of bed in the morning if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, I, it, this idea of kind of like entrepreneurship is like a carrier or a vehicle for the innovation. Mm-hmm. That that's that's one way to see it. You know, innovation is kind of birthed out of the entre- like out of those opportunities that the entrepreneurs are, are capitalizing on, and that innovation doesn't necessarily have to be technological. That's another big point that he makes in this book is that, you know, actually most of 
the the new quote unquote technologies aren't high tech and the innovations in the broader marketplace aren't high tech. You know, that's kind of what the media focuses on and that's what's most popular, but that there are many kind of unsung innovation giants. That's right. As, as we've seen, as we profiled individuals way outside of, of Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not just limited to, to those sectors. Yes. And I think, I think the reason that uh, technology takes so much of the limelight is that technology and particularly things such as the internet, software, data, and all that kind of good stuff has the ability to move so fast and to get to such enormous scale. And and that's what's the mind-blowing element is to think that, you know, 20%, 30% of the world's population is on Facebook. Um, you know, this the, the to have achieved that scale in just over a decade is just pure ridiculous. And that's what why technology gets us so excited. What what a fantastic book. So that one was Innovation and Entrepreneurship. I know that obviously we've talked about The Effective Executive. That was another great book. What else are some of the must-reads must on, on the Drucker list as far as you're concerned, Chad? Uh, I think to round it out, I would put The Essential Drucker on there. That is something that he wrote himself as kind of looking back. This is later in life. You know, He was looking back on all of his theories and trying to kind of combine them into a singular work. So trying to condense 38 books into his 39th. (laughs) (laughs) No, no mean feat. Um, Okay. So we'll have links to all of those books. And we mentioned Benefits Corps and links to, to some of his HBR articles. All of those will be on moonshots.io. But now, Chad, now we're going to do our... I have an audible to call here, Mike. Come see see if you'll go with me on this. Okay. How would you like to do a lightning round. Totally with you. Where So what we have here are five clips talking about the five ideas from the effective executive, mm-hmm. Peter's most famous book. So see, I'll, I'll see if we can do this, Mike. So we're going we're gonna to play these clips that, mm-hmm. that talks about each of them. And then I want you and I to try and come up with like what the one thing we're going to tr- do to try and work towards that one thing. Okay, let let me build on that. Shall we make it if there was one essential tip we could give each other on those five? For example, the the first one we'll get into know where your time goes. In order to, order to do that, if you can only give me one advice to know where my time goes. So give me the essential tip for each of the five and we'll do one each, one from you, one from me. So hopefully our audience gets like 10 like essential advices on how to be the effective exec. All right. Well, you've already teed up time. So let's learn about how Peter views an executive's best use of his or her time. The first practice of the effective executive is time. Drucker makes the important point that time is our most precious asset. You can lose a lot of different things in your life and you can get that back, right? You can lose some resources or cash, you can get that back. You can even lose your health a bit, you can get that back. Once time is gone, it's gone, period. So he says the first thing we have to do is uh, optimize our time. There are three components to optimizing your time, Peter Drucker style. Here they are. The first thing is to track 
which we're going to talk about in a moment. The second thing is to manage. And then the third thing is to consolidate. All right. What's your tip for me, Chad? How, how if, if I, I need to know where my time goes, what's your essential Drucker advice for me? What should I do? Two words, Pomodoro technique. Oh, a classic. Yeah. Okay. Now explain to our listeners what, uh, the Pomodoro technique. Yeah. So we'll, we'll link to this in our show notes, but essentially I'm, I'm reducing the idea, but you traditionally like you would take a tomato timer you know a little kitchen timer that looks like a tomato you would set it for 25 minutes and choose just one thing that you're working on and that's the only thing you can do for those 25 minutes if you get distracted and stop you have to restart again you know set the timer back and and try it again the idea is to break down your work into manageable bite-sized chunks and you choose that one thing so again you at the end, you, you take a five-minute break and you kind of repeat the process. You know, in every three or four, you can take a longer break. And, you know, in a day, you can get, you know, between probably 10 and 16, depending on how, how uh, productive you are, <laughs> um, of these little yeah. Pomodoros completed. And then at the end of the day, you'll have a list of the one thing that you worked on for each of those. And so that's, 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 my, one, uh, that's my one tip. Okay. Spirit of the, the lightning round is write down how you spend your time. The biggest aha for me, Drucker style here, is actually capturing in my calendar application how I've actually spent my time so that I'm able to go back and ask myself the following day, I can say, how did I spend my time yesterday? This is the single biggest thing that helps me understand, am I being effective? which is how I'm, how I'm putting my attention and time somewhere. So write down your, your time. So that's the first chapter on what it, Drucker says, to be an effective executive is to know where your time goes. Now, the next thing, this one's a little bit more subtle. This is all about your contribution. So have a listen to this, this clip, and we're going to talk a lot about a contribution and the sort of subtleties and nuances in that. But be ready, Chad, because I'm going to need some advice on contribution. The second thing is you need to know what contribution is expected of you. So if you want to be effective rather than merely busy, the first question to ask is effective at what? What is the contribution that's being asked of me by my organization in a professional environment or by my life in a broader sense. So for example, the way I answer that question is, first and foremost, I'm the only one who can be an extraordinary husband and father to my wife and to my kids. There's a contribution that's being asked of me that I prioritize significantly. And then creatively, my decision and what I believe is being asked of me is to help people optimize their lives give them more wisdom and less time, short form digital content that helps them become better human beings. That's the contribution being asked of me. Okay, with that, Drucker says, the most important thing you get out of that, in addition to clarity on uh, what you're supposed to be doing to be effective is, it basically forces you to step up. He says it's really a call to self-improvement. Who do you need to be in order to make that contribution? It's a really cool thing to think about. You want to do this? Well, what's the gap? And how are you going to close that gap? That's the second thing here, contribution. Mm, so I've got, a, I've got a post-it note for you. Okay. This post-it note has been on my desk for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. 
And it just simply says, what's the next action to get me closest to the next dollar? Ooh. <laughs> okay. And so, okay. Yeah. so for me as, you know, someone that's running my own creative studio, that's asking myself that question, um, I think is really getting at this idea of contribution. And it's, it's been transformative. How about yourself? Very good. Okay. Okay. So that one was like, what's the closest action to getting me the next dollar? My thing about contribution, I interpret it as being um, about role and expectation. And my suggestion to you and to the audience is ask yourself, what would your role model do now? So let's say Bill Belichick is your absolute hero role model for who you want to be in your role. What would he do right now? Let's say Oprah Winfrey was your role model. What would, how would she handle this issue? WWJD, WWOD, WWBD. Yeah, that, that, that kind of idea. <laughs> <laughs> what would Steph Curry? So, exactly, exactly. But, but why I find that so powerful is it gets you out of what you are thinking to do and it creates a new frame where you go, oh man, I got to man up, I got to step up. Um, and I find that really powerful in defining what your contribution can be. Mm. So that's number two. So we've done time. We've now talked about contribution. Now we're going to get into something we mentioned earlier, which is strengths. And this this next part of this uh, Drucker deconstruction is all about how you can build your strengths and those in others. The third practice of the effective executive is to, as he says, make your strengths productive. He's got some great wisdom here. He says, look, all strong people have strong weaknesses and they have strong, I'm sorry, they have strong strengths and they have strong weaknesses. He says uh, they have peaks and they have valleys. That's just how it works. Right? And the people who try to be well-rounded, to use his language, the whole person as he describes it, are basically committing themselves to mediocrity. He says, don't focus on your weaknesses, focus on your strengths and lean into them so hard that you make your weaknesses irrelevant. Hmm. Mm. Chad, how do, how do I lean into my strengths? Tell me the answer. So is, is giving you a reading assignment a cop-out? Uh, go on, you can give it to well, me. Well, I'm, 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 I'm trying to. This idea of strength. Uh, there's a great book out there called "Unique Ability" by Ooh, um, okay. Dan Sullivan and others. We, you know, we'll, we'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. But mm -hmm. th the core idea is like to to be effective in in Peter in Peter's terminology. Like you should be operating and working inside of your unique ability as much as possible, like 90% of your time plus, you should be operating in, in your unique ability. So, you know, depending on what your best strength is, you know, it's just optimizing for that. So again, it's kind of like this question of what's my unique ability and how can I spend the most time in that? That's, uh, mm -hmm. if you want to learn more, you can, you can read the book, but that, that's how I'm interpreting it. 
Okay, I love that. And in very much in a similar vein, I'm going to recommend to you, you've mentioned it before, Strength Finder uh, 2.0, or a free service that's available to all of our listeners, which is 16personalities.com, where you can do a like 10-minute survey and it will give you a very sharp interpretation of your personality and where your strengths might lay. And I cannot uh, undersell Strengths Finder 2.0 and 16 personalities. 16 personalities. These tools have helped me really understand where my strengths are and definitely where my weaknesses are. And I I found this incredibly liberating. I, I really remember reading Strengths Finder 2.0 way back, like almost 10 years ago. And it was like a serious aha moment in my in my career. And this is this is the way that you can not only build your own strengths, but you know, get your friends, peers, and colleagues to do these with you as well and talk about the sort of strengths that you discover, the sort of archetype behaviors that you have, mm. because then you can all get on the same page about where the strengths lay. So that's number three, build on yours and other strengths. Now, a, 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 an idea that, that Drucker coined, which has taken off, which is first things first, and this is all about making and sticking to priorities. So let's have a listen to the thoughts on Drucker's first things first. Big idea here is concentration. So when we manage our time, we consolidate it ultimately. And Drucker makes the point that there will always be more good ideas than there is time to actually execute them. So what does that mean? It means we need to go back to the four disciplines of execution, get clear on our wildly important goal, say that's important to me, and then concentrate all of our energy into that particular activity. Run out of space here, but here's what he says. He says, first things first. Stephen Covey, his seven habits of highly effective people. One of them is first things first. He wrote a whole book called First Things First. You know where he got that phrase from? Peter Drucker. First things first, Drucker says. Guess what he says about second things? Second things, not at all. First things first. Yeah, I think I got to go back to to post-its here, Mike. I Here we go. Yeah, I, I don't have like big notebooks and sheets of paper on my desk that I that I use to plan my day. It's one post-it. Whoa. If, whoa, whoa, whoa. If it, because I can only fit one thing on it. <laughs> so yeah. if, I only, if, if I only, yeah, I write the one thing that I must do on that post-it. And when it's yeah. done, I crumple it up and I throw it in the trash. Love it. My one is do the most important thing at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. Right? If, you, if you're going to write a script or make an edit, like do that between 8 and 11 in the morning. I really have this thing in my mind. Uh, I don't, I, I avoid, uh, like I really do everything in my human power to avoid any meetings uh, before lunch. Anyone who's had a meeting with me knows invariably it's either lunch or later. And that's because first things first. And I, I take that quite literally. I try and do my writing in the morning, my thinking. Uh, the most important work comes in the morning. And uh, amazing to think that Drucker coined that whole idea of first things first, huh? Yeah, there's this interesting or f- funny uh, 
quote that I think might be misattributed to Mark Twain, but supposedly he said that if the first thing you do every morning is to eat a frog, you can go through the rest of the day with the satisfaction knowing that that was the worst thing that you had to do that day. <laughs> well, yeah, that's just like take the obstacle first and everything after that is good, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So we've got four down, one left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Come on, hit us. What's the fifth? Uh, it's really just about decision making. So, of course, as you know, to be an executive, that comes with a lot of decision making. So, uh, here's the fifth discipline of effective executives. So, the fifth practice of effective executives is they make effective decisions. And he says you need to have a systematic way to approach making decisions. The effective executive makes less decisions, not more than the ineffective executive. How is that possible? because they step back and they see what's important and they make one decision that takes care of hundreds of decisions. They don't have to make the same decision again and again and again and again, right? So uh, he describes it as boundary conditions. One of the facets of good effective decision-making is you need to know your boundary conditions. You've gotta know what qualifies as a good decision. And the example he uses is the New York Times. So the New York Times back in the mid 20th century there was a huge blackout in New York City, right? So all the power went out, and the only paper in New York City that was published the following morning was the New York Times. Everybody else missed today. But they hustled over to New Jersey, and they were able to get in on the printing presses of another um, newspaper that had some extra space. But they only had a couple hours. But it was enough time for them to print a million copies of the New York Times for the next day, which is what they needed to get out with, right? So they had these two hours, but in the middle of the production, actually the production cycle was delayed by something like 46 minutes because the editors got in an argument about the hyphenation of one word, the entire newspaper, one word, they argued for nearly an hour about how to properly hyphenate it. And Drucker says that one of their boundary conditions was impeccable grammar that the New York Times needed to be perfect in every single line of every single uh, issue of their newspaper. They needed to be the standard for grammar in America. So, long story a little shorter, they only printed a fraction, less than half of those million copies went to market the next day. Drucker says, did they make the right decision? He says, absolutely. Their boundary condition was clear. Their boundary condition was no errors ever. Therefore, the measure wasn't the number of sales or, or copies printed and then sold. It was whether they adhered to that standard. They made an effective decision. All right. I got one for you, Mike. All right. Hit me with it. I picked up this idea in a couple of different places. Just wanted to give a shout out to one of my, my clients, August, for really driving it, it home to me. But it's this idea of kind of creating rules or strategies for yourself that are phrased in the following way. Blank, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even over blank. So. For the New York Times, in this example, it would be impeccable grammar even over meeting printing deadlines. Yes. So like that's a, that's, it's carved in stone and that's, you know, that's the commandment. And like, I would start with maybe two or three of these um, for yourself, but as you apply them to different areas of your life, it, it's really great. So, you know, things like uh, quality even over speed or clarity even over conciseness or uh, I mean, you you can create them for anything oh and best of all they fit on post-its mm. man this is like the post-it show chad um <laughs> yeah. my my post-it for you is 
write down, discuss, and agree your values as an organization. Now, it's so ridiculously simple, but I think the twist on my thing is write it down, talk about it, and agree your values because I believe that that is the lens through which you should make your decisions. Mm. And I think most companies don't really know their values and so they don't really have a, a North Star or, or a moral compass, as Drucker would say. And what we see is why, why we're so compelled by the Warby Parkers and the Charity Waters is that their values are so clear and that they can just make such clear decisions from that. I mean, that's the ultimate. It's like the playbook that you can always go back to for an effective decision. The way you get to blank over blank is knowing what your values are. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I, I liked that uh, lightning round. That was there, good. Right? That was fun. That was fun. Man, the, the show notes are getting massive because we're cross-referencing Pomodoro <laughs> techniques and books. And uh, this is fantastic. It's going to be the biggest show notes ever. Um, wow. What an what a, what a epic dr- uh, Drucker show. I, I mean, to be honest, we could almost have gone Steve Jobs on this one and like of those five things, we could have done a show just on time, mm-hmm. a show just on contribution. I mean, that's how epic this guy guy really is. I mean, Peter Drucker, uh, you know, I, I'm i looking at the body of his work and all the things we've talked about, Chad, and I, I think from my liking, he earned his presidential medal of honor. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right? Like what, the, uh, yeah. what, what profound work and the fact that it's still so hard to do now and so few people can do it. That's the most ridiculous twist on all of this. Like we're all still trying, right? Yeah. And I, again, I'm, I'm really struck at just the timeliness of all of this. It's just like, again, because he's dealing with the fundamental human natures that drives all of us, like this advice is going to be great for us well into the 23rd or 24th century. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, and uh, everybody listening can can go and grab all of these links, books, show notes, pom- pom- Pomodoro techniques, you name it. You'll find all of that at moonshots.io. And uh, how fun, Chad, how fun has this been to get into our author series? Such a nice... It's not over yet. No, no. I'm so, I'm so happy. We still have Simon Sinek to talk about in the next episode. And then beyond that, we have... Uh, Eric Reese. We have Eric Reese. Yeah, it's, I think, uh, taking a step back and taking a look at some authors that have written some very important and influential works in the, in the entrepreneurship and innovation space. I mean, Peter did write a book called Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Mm. Uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I mean, you can, I mean, think we've had Clay and, and Peter who are like the granddaddies of innovation and management. And then we've got almost uh, the young upstart, Simon Sinek and Eric Reese for the second half of this, this writer series. And, and what's really interesting is just the body of work the, these guys produce. I mean, it, it almost makes you feel a little bit inadequate. And you're like, Clay Christensen produced Innovator's Dilemma, How Will You Measure Your Life, Drucker, I mean, we've just talked about, and then, and then we've got coming Simon Siddick, he had start with why great leaders eat last. I mean, we're in for another big one in, on the Cynic show. Um, I, I'm very excited about that. And Eric Reese. I mean, every, every large and small corporation at the moment is trying to adopt lean, right? They're trying to be 
a new form of themselves. They're trying to self-disrupt. So boy, have we got some action coming down the track. Yeah, the, the good news is that it's slightly lighter reading uh, Simon Sinek and Eric Reese than, yes. uh, than Drucker and Christensen. Yes, um, yes, that's, that's for sure. Um, way more di- digestible, but, but uh, no less potent, I might, I might suggest. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And you know, I wanted to put the question to you, the listeners, if there's any authors that you feel like we have grossly overlooked, shoot us an email at hello at moonshots.io and uh maybe we'll come back and revisit some more authors yes. uh later down the track. Yep, yep. We we could definitely do another series of authors and we should point out to our listeners that once we finish the author series, I think we're gonna do the greatest investor series. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. So who who Which of course we can't fit into like just three or four episodes. <laughs> no, but but we're gonna we're gonna try. We gotta go we're gonna have the two granddaddies. We're gonna go Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. But uh there's so many no, we've been talking about Peter Thiel and Paul Graham yeah. and yeah, many others. And and something close to both of our hearts after that, going on another tangent after that. What's the next series? Uh, Chad, we're going to do after the investor one. Oh, you're 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 ahead of me in the uh, the spreadsheet, Mike. You'll have to you'll have to oh, come on to, to the architect series. Oh, that's right, that's right. Holy smoke! And you you've brought you've suggested amongst my I was like a classics guy, so Geary, Frank Lloyd Wright, Zaha Hadid, and you went like Bjark Engels. So you got to like who is this Bjark Engels? Well, he's uh. He's kind of hard to describe. Like if you, uh, he's, he's, he's in some, he's in some Netflix shows. I think it's, uh, abstract. Okay. There's the, there's a show on him and his firm big. So that tells you a little bit about his personality because he named, uh, his, his firm big, but, uh, yeah, they, they hail from Copenhagen, the, the Danes and yeah, they, they have some really fascinating, interesting buildings here in New York city. But yeah, I mean, you'll just have to stay tuned in about, Three months, four months. <laughs> Twenty eighteen is done. Looking at this list, we are chock a block, and we're going to have yeah. some special episodes to break it up a bit. We're going to have Gary back for the history of disruption. We'd love to hear some ideas about another special episode. Yeah, and we 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 might try and uh, do another live show before the year's out. What do you reckon about that, Chad? In twenty eighteen, that sounds nice. Yeah, we got to squeeze in. You're a busy guy. We got to try and squeeze it in your agenda, but I might start working on on that idea. All right, what a great show, Chad. I mean, man, Drucker, timeless. Okay, timeless is just the word, isn't it? Yeah, don't don't go anywhere. We've got two more uh, authors yeah, coming up yeah, yeah. in the next two episodes. All right. Well, Chad, thank you to you. I know it's it's probably time to cook yourself a wonderful meal and relax for the evening. Have you got anything big planned? You're going to jump down with a bit of Netflix or the Kindle? What are you, what are you thinking? Uh, so my big project this last weekend was building my own computer, which Ooh, I hadn't wow. done in probably 15 years uh, or maybe even more. So yeah, I'm you know gonna enjoy my enjoy my new uh, my new computer. Oh wow, that sounds really really cool. Well, uh, I'm going to uh, upload uh, my show recording to you, and then I'm just gonna head straight to the gym and grab some lunch after that. So how lucky am I? You know, took my my son to school, came here, recorded the show with you, and then I'm gonna go to the gym and work out. I mean, life doesn't get much better than that, does it? 
Sounds like a great Thursday to me, Mike. <laughs> exactly. All right, Chad, thank you to you. Thank you to our audience. It's been wonderful. You can check us out at moonshots.io. We've been digging deep into the world of uh, none other than Peter Drucker. We wish you all well. And that's a wrap for the Moonshots podcast. <laughs>